I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hope you're happy. Hope you're feeling terrific. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. NFL draft is finally upon us, as well as lots going on in the world of college football recruiting. Speaking of college football, there is a FBS school who has decided to furlough all of its coaches. I didn't say FCS. I didn't say Division II. I said FBS. We got to talk about all this. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of, of this episode. Thanks so much for subscribing, whether you catch us on iTunes or you catch us on uh, uh, iHeartRadio or wherever else you find us. We're glad you're here with us. Okay, so Rich, I don't, I know you know this because I sent you the link, but I don't know if you knew about it before I sent. Boise State will place its entire coaching staff on involuntary unpaid leave as a part of a university-wide initiative that uh, that applies to all employees making at least forty thousand dollars a year. Now, forty thousand—that's you're getting. You're not talking head coach level. Right. Forty thousand—you're talking way, way closer to the median, uh, you know, uh, income across America. Any employee making at least forty thousand a year, involuntary, university-wide, unpaid leave, and the school's looking to recoup ten million dollars in losses due to the coronavirus pandemic. Now look, I don't I don't care what your um what your leaning is, what your inclination is as far as go back to work, open this thing back up or stay home shelter in place and hope the government sends us another check. I don't care which end of the spectrum you're on or even if you're in the middle of that, what I do want to say is if you're a fan of college football, this cannot be anything other than alarming because this is this is Boise State. Okay, this is FBS. This isn't a lower level, barely getting by FCS Division II or lower program. This isn't NAIA trying to scrape by on peanuts for an athletic budget. This is FBS. This is what we're starting to see the ramifications of, of canceling things like the NCAA tournament and all those other things that are supposed to give money to these universities to get them through the summer before all those football contracts start kicking in. And if you're a fan of college football and you want to see college football soon, this isn't good news to you. No, not at all. I want to go back and revisit something, Matt, that you and I talked about approximately three weeks ago at this point in time because I felt as though let me let me use something that you said because we are looking at the financial burden that football program shoulder for a majority of the universities across the country. Needless to say, about three weeks ago we were looking and we were specifically talking about some comments 
that Mike Gundy had used. And now, while I know everybody wanted to focus on this idea or this date of May 1st, having student athletes return to campus and potentially, I mean, we're, we're not talking about a group of 10 or 15. We're talking about a group of 100 plus all of a sudden being on campus with coaches and everyone who's involved, 100 plus being in the same room, in the same locker room, potentially sharing coronavirus, even if they were asymptomatic when they arrived on campus. What I'm getting at though, is while that was the main takeaway from that conversation for a lot of news outlets, what was easily overlooked was, was Mike Gundy's emphasis of football being that main flow of cash to these universities to maintain the budgets that they're on, but more importantly for the businesses that were around them. All of a sudden we're seeing real life impact of what the lack of football, what the lack or potential, I should say, potential cancellation of a fall season is actually putting onto universities and the first domino to tumble in this line of dominoes. I, I'm not expecting many universities to follow that. I, I just don't think it's. Oh, I, I, I do. I, I think, I think um, comparable athletic programs. I don't think it'll hit, it hit something like Norman, Oklahoma. Right. I'm saying, but Ohio I'm saying, State, I'm saying, Clemson's but I'm saying comparable. How you go to New Mexico and you look at New Mexico and you look at New Mexico state and you go, you go to programs along those lines in the entire Mac, North Texas, these programs that really rely on that conference money from the NCAA tournament, from the bowl packages they kind of get them by. And here's the thing. A guy like Brian Hartsong, which I believe that is the name of the Boise State head coach, um, a guy like him who's making in the neighborhood of millions of dollars a season, this 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 furlough, it's not going to affect him as much as it's going to affect the person who's making $40,000. And I think that's what Mike Gundy was hinting at. And people tried to throw Mike Gundy under the bus because he makes $5 million a year. And he's like, we got to get back to work. Well, you got to make, you're making $5 million a year. Why? He wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about these other people, the vendors, the, the security people, the, you know, the, the lower level, the secretaries in the offices, the, the people who make the, the, the reservations for these coordinators and bringing these kids in. I think that's what Gundy was talking about. And look, I don't want to be, and I've never intended to be apathetic towards this virus pandemic that's going on. But what I said about my Gundy at the time is what I'm sticking to my guns now is at some point you really have to start thinking about the ramifications of remaining on a lockdown schedule and what happens when money is not flowing. And right now, universities across the country, money's not flowing, and you're seeing this happen, and I think you're going to see it happen more. And, and here's the thing. If you're thinking, okay, well, you know, these guys, they're just doing their job for 10 days or 14 days or however long this furlough is. They're just doing their job and not getting paid for it. That's not the case. This program is shut down. They're not recruiting. They're not texting. They're not meeting. They're not having Zoom conferences. They are not allowed, according to this article, 
they are not allowed to do any job functions while they're on this break. So basically, the Boise State football program has been shut down temporarily while they find $10 million. I mean, it's it's an Easter egg hunt to find $10 million. Now you think about it, you bring that into a power five school, and there are there are programs on the lower ends of these power five schools that don't have the monies of the Ohio State and the Oklahomas and the Texases. And they're they're probably looking at this going, you know, that's probably not gonna happen to us right now. But if we don't play football until next spring, that could. And it's not gonna be here's what here's what you're gonna see out of the power five. It's not gonna be the football coaches. It's going to be the softball coaches. It's going to be the baseball coaches. It's going to be the track coaches. They're going to be the first ones because if you're an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State or a Texas or, you know, a TCU, your best bet to make the capitalize once this thing goes back into swing, your best bet is to play for a conference championship and get to that conference championship to get the biggest piece of the pie that you possibly can. All 10 schools get a piece of that pie, but the two that play, they get the biggest piece of the pie because they get the extra um, they get the extra ticket sales, they get the extra exposure, they get the, you know, the, the, the advantage of being there and all that other money that comes with it. So you're not going to let Lincoln Riley be off work unpaid for 10 days because, you know, you need him there to try to get that biggest piece of the pie. But can you name the track coach at the University of Oklahoma? I can't. I know you can name the tennis coach, but I'm just saying all of those, all of those lower level sports that we've talked about, look, this is coming. This is coming to power five. And for us to think that anything other than that is the case is just not Smart. Now you you've mentioned and you've lumped in women's sports with us. I think the the first sports that are cut are men's sports. You have to. It has to be men's sports because, because of Title Nine. Yeah, exactly. But here's what I wanted to go back three weeks ago. You had asked me if ultimately I was defending this idea that Mike Gundy and job security, and I said that I wasn't. I wasn't certain how to articulate it until this started happening, and it really put everything in to perspective for me. The the Boise State situation really put everything into perspective. And now all of a sudden we have words to describe exactly what Mike Gundy may have been cautioning everyone against. However, because we were right in the thick of things, the numbers were still rising locally here in Oklahoma for confirmed cases, everyone saw the negative side of it. And, And they only wanted to criticize instead of say, hey, wait a second, Maybe there is actually some validity to what Mike Gundy is saying. Yeah, and you know, I had a follow-up question. Yeah, go ahead. This is where I was going with the with the whole Mike Gundy push because there's it's not just Mike Gundy that we're looking at now. It's not the comments that he made. It's not just Boise State. You're not prepared for this, so I'm really gonna put you on the spot. But we all of a sudden are talking about the amount of revenue that is generated specifically from college athletes for a university. Is this all of a sudden another weapon, if you will, for those who have been advocates of college players to get paid at the collegiate level? Is this another weapon for them to use? Is this another argument for them to add to the tool bag to the NCAA? 
No, I think if anything, it's the anti-argument because it lets you see, uh, like, for example, at a university like Boise State, it lets you see how slim those margins are. I mean, you're, you're laying off you're laying off coaches involuntarily. Okay, they, they did not ask for this. Right. This is happening to them. And so that just lets you know that the margin is slim. Everybody thinks that these universities have all this money, which they do when things are going. But the minute you remove something, the money and the money begins to dry up. It is a very, very slim margin. And so now you've got because you can't just pay athletes from the University of Oklahoma. You can't just pay athletes from mm-hmm. Florida State. If you're going to pay athletes, you got to pay for them, for their likeness across the board. So now you got a program like Boise State, who's who's no slouch. I mean, we're talking about a team that's well. I mean, in every year, Oklahoma fans rankings. don't need to be educated on on the on right. the potential of Boise State. A, a, a potential at yeah. large bid is usually in the hands of Boise State. Or programs that have had similar. Yeah, we're not talking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not talking about you know Central mm-hmm. North Carolina, AT and T, or A and T, or whatever it is. Could be a UCF, Boise State. But, Those are all on the same but, level. But the point I'm making is, I think this. I, I don't think if you're if you're an athlete wanting to get paid, and look, I I've got so many different ranges of emotions on that. That's a that's a topic for a different time. But if you're an athlete wanting to get paid, I don't think you look at this as saying. This is the reason why I need to get paid because there, everyone else is going to go back and say there is no money. <laughs> this is this is where all the money no, goes. I, when I, we I make the money off of your jersey, and when we make the money off of you playing on national television, this is what it goes to. And when it's not there, no one gets the no one gets paid. Not even you. So this is not what I would think you would want to throw out there as your argument. Okay. All right. Hey, it's been a busy week. Oklahoma at Lincoln Riley is working as well as his coaching staff. And it's uh, been a busy week on the recruiting trail. Caleb Williams, another blog post entry, another interesting uh, set of nugget of uh, uh, thing that he says. So we're going to get into all of that as we talk about Oklahoma football recruiting. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, okay, the, the recruit that everybody is paying attention to is Caleb Williams, the number one quarterback recruit in the nation for the class of 2021. His final five is Clemson, LSU, the University of Maryland, Penn State, and Oklahoma. And he's doing this um, blog post for Sports Illustrated on a weekly basis. Now, if you listen to the Sooner Nation podcast on a weekly basis, then you know all this information. And you know that I feel that he's not, and it makes sense, that he's not going to declare his commitment until he gets to the very end of these blog posts. But you're able to get little nuggets of uh, of information from him every week. And I said last week, because he was very complimentary to Lincoln Riley last week, he talked about how Lincoln Riley and him had gone over some plays and he had taken those plays to his offensive coordinator. And he talked about how Lincoln Riley had given him some personal coaching tips on playing the quarterback position that he's working on as well, going into his senior year of high school. And what I said last week was that next week he'll probably – be complimentary of LSU or something like that. Well, it wasn't LSU. I don't know, Rich, if you've been able to see his blog post this week, but do you know who the school is that he picked out this week I to know. compliment? I know. It was the one and the only Clemson Tigers. And here's what Caleb Williams says. He says, I love Coach Sweeney. He's a funny guy. 
we got on the call and we were joking around, having a good time. But he said he wants Clemson to be the top one school. He wants Clemson to be the school for me and truly believes Clemson is the school for me and that it fits me well. That was his main message. Now, here's look, if you're if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're looking for clues here. And he's very complimentary of Dabo Sweeney. And if you've ever been around Dabo Sweeney, then you've got nothing but complimentary things to say about him. But Caleb Williams doesn't go into detail like he did with Lincoln Riley. He doesn't tell us, yeah, Coach Sweeney told me that I need to work on these techniques with my my style of quarterback play. Coach Sweeney didn't uh, go over any plays with me that I'm taking to my offensive coordinator. So if you're looking at this and you're thinking, okay, he talked to Dabo Sweeney, panic time, don't. Because it was a totally different type of conversation that he had with Dabo Sweeney than what he's had with Lincoln Riley. And, and, and the writing style, the way he describes him, if I'm Dabo Sweeney and I read this and I compare it to with what he wrote about Lincoln Riley the week before, I'm thinking, yep, not going to get this kid to come play for me because Lincoln Riley has him. That's why Caleb Williams, amongst these recruiting services, is trending higher and higher almost on a weekly basis towards the University of Oklahoma. But what really stands out about his uh, blog post this week is what he says about the guys that he's out there recruiting with. Guys that he's trying to get to come play with him. And he says things like, um, uh, which is which is really interesting to me. He says things like in his blog post, you can't hide if you want to be the best. He's going out and he's actively seeking guys. And of course, as been the case for him, he drops names. Christian Lirio, excuse me, Christian Leary, Mario Williams, Kelvin Gillum, uh, Dallas Turner. He's been talking to Oklahoma's own Kendall Daniels of Beggs, Oklahoma. Um, he's talking to guys uh, that Oklahoma is not only in on, but guys like Mario Williams and Kendall Daniels, who most recruiting experts are picking these two guys to join Oklahoma as a part of the 2021 class. But also Christian Leary, who is very much out there. You're, you want to say something about Christian Leary? I am. So give I me am. just a second. I just want to point out, I want to remind you, last week about the hot dog tweet, it was Christian Leary, Mario Williams, and Caleb Williams all doing the hot dogs. And look, I, 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 again, if you're an Oklahoma the fan. The hot dog gang. The hot dog gang. I was trying not to say it. <laughs> it's but there. It, might as well use but it. if you're an Oklahoma fan, there's nothing from this week's entry that makes you think any less than what you thought last week, in my opinion. Go ahead. The only thing I want to add here, you're talking about Caleb Williams essentially aligning himself or dropping names in these all-on-the-line SI post blog, following his recruiting, detailing out what it's like academically and sporting and juggling all of that, plus the recruiting process in this crazy month that we've had. I'm sure it's drawn a handful, okay, more than a handful of eyeballs, but when you begin to look at Caleb Williams and you begin to say he's aligning himself with players who have a vet or Oklahoma specifically has a vested interest in, and then all of a sudden we get these crystal ball projections from sites like 247 Sports and Rivals. The one for, I don't know if you caught this, the very first crystal ball re- projection, I was going to say rejection, but projection for Christian Leary came out. And do you know where he's trending towards? I, I This is new information to me. Go ahead. It, it is, is indeed Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. The, the first projections for Leary are leaning towards 
Oklahoma. Now we know about Kendall Daniels. He's been trending towards OU for some time at this point. Well, I must say again, I, I I'm I'm on record. Kendall Daniels is coming to the University of Oklahoma. I, I mean, I'm just telling you that right now. And we we still have some unaccounted for commitments. Right. At this point in time. So who knows if Kendall Daniels is one of those, I'm sure he and his family, as well as the coaching staff at the university I'm, do. I'm so, I know I'm jumping in here, but while we're talking about Kendall Daniels, just, just for reference, he's the number two player in the state. Oklahoma already has the number one player in Ethan Downs. Kendall Daniels is mm-hmm. number two. And again, for all you, well, where's the defense guys out there that are screaming at recruiting? These are the top two players in the state of Oklahoma, and they both play defense, mm-hmm. I think. From what I've been told, from what I understand, Kendall Daniels was going to make his commitment around the spring game. And obviously that didn't happen, but right. I, I do think I do think a Kendall Daniels commitment is looming. But here here's the thing. If he's gonna join the hot dog gang, so to speak, and jump in here with Caleb Williams, these guys can't well, here's this way you gotta understand it, because people are growing impatient. With Oklahoma recruiting, as hard as that may be to believe, people are becoming impatient because Ohio State's getting this guy and that guy, and it's all quiet on the Western front, so to speak, with Oklahoma. But if you're jumping in this group with with Caleb Williams, and you're known to be one of Caleb Williams' guys, you can't commit. You can't do it until Caleb Williams does it because it gives everything away. And so I'm telling you, this is just all speculation from my point, but it makes sense. If, Caleb, if I'm Caleb Williams and I'm recruiting you to come play, you're like, yeah, dude, I want to come play with you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Then the next thing I'm going to say is glad to have you on my team, but you can't say anything. Mm-hmm. And that that's why it's getting starting to get quiet. But here's the, the flip side of that equation is we're not even reading between the lines when I make this statement. Caleb Williams says when he makes his commitment, he wants there to be this meteoric rise, these mm-hmm. fireworks to go off for whichever university, Which you're, you're whichever quoting program, verbatim. exactly, whichever program that's going to be. And so we're going to see a university who may not even be in the top 10 at this point. I know Oklahoma is not in the top 10, which is why I say may not be in the top 10 at this point. All of a sudden shoot up mm-hmm. into the num- into the, the top five. No, William says three. the one. William says we're going to be number one. I know, but that's going to be really hard I'm to do. I'm just saying uh, that's what that's those are his words. Fingers crossed that it and, happens, but I know that's a difficult, that's an extremely tall task when you look at one player, one university, it doesn't matter where they are recruiting against the likes of Alabama. Well, Alabama's not even number one. I mean, they're not right now. They're, well, the, I don't think Alabama's Ohio going to be. State. I, I, Ohio I, I do think a meteoric rise. I do the think a couple of years. Honestly, I, I do think that 20, if what everyone's saying and what I'm hearing is correct, I do believe the class, the 2021 class, the number one spot, I Oklahoma's going to be in the mix. But I think that when you talk about the schools that are really, really hitting it hard, it's going to be Oklahoma and Ohio State. They're, they're going to have the – I think they're going to jockey for the top two classes at this point based on what I'm but, – but here's the thing. Whenever all these – whenever all these um, commitments start coming in, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen fast – and and I get it. I get it that you're frustrated because you're seeing Ohio State got this kid. You know, they got two. Uh, I think Ohio State's got three really good commitments in the last week, and they were Oklahoma targets. And so there's a little bit of frustration out there. But when this happens, it's going to happen fast. And I do believe it's going to be Oklahoma, and I do believe it's going to be glorious because all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, oh, oh. You know, if you're if you're if you're pinging these kids on your Twitter feed and you start seeing those commitments come through. 
it, it's going to have a domino effect and it's going to be it's going to make a really really big splash yeah i completely agree and caleb williams knows that he's not an idiot there there's a reason that he's used the verbiage the terminology terminology excuse me when typing out these different blog posts he knows what's in store and it wants my opinion my take on it is that caleb williams isn't just looking at what he can do with his recruiting class. He's looking at how he can leave a legacy and set a university up for the future. Mm. Because he, th this is something that's further reaching than just the yeah. 2021 class. We've talked about potentially, the, well, you brought it up, I would say in top three, potentially having the number one recruiting class. That's going to bode extremely well for Oklahoma down the road. But I also think this NFL draft will bode extremely well for Oklahoma in the recruiting process, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. Uh, 2022, Oklahoma sends out a pair of um, offers for 2022 uh, defensive backs, LaTerrence Welch and uh, Marquise Groves Killebrew. Uh, you, these are guys you wrote about for Hartman mm -hmm. Sports. Um, both of them are four stars, I believe. Uh, both of them six foot plus. What, what do you know about these kids? And, you know, 2022 uh, obviously is, is so far from here uh, that it's probably going to be a while before you hear anything as far as commitments from these guys. But Oklahoma is in on them. Yeah, my, my thoughts, Oklahoma is obviously evaluating talent across the nation, regardless of class. And they're wanting to look at some of these guys and say, can we actually get in and make an impression on them early to where we begin to pull them over to our side of the fence while some of these other universities are looking at immediate needs and saying, we can't look out at that specific position. We can't look to the 2022 class yet. They want to, they will, those offers will eventually come in, but it means something when you're one of the first major programs to offer a kid that a lot of other people, it's not even, they're not even on the radar yet. So what it says to me is that these are kids who are, going number one, who are going to rise up through the rankings. They're going to be in the top 150, top 250 overall recruits for their respective classes. But it's also, we've talked about adding depth. We've talked about adding talent in the secondary. And that's really what Oklahoma is looking to do. They can't afford not to look towards the future. They can't afford not to look past the 2021 class, specifically when it comes to that position because of the attrition, because of the transfers, people who have chosen to leave the program, all that we've seen, as well as graduations and those entering the NFL draft. Oklahoma, like I said, just going to repeat that, can't afford not to look at the 2022 class. That's weird to say. The 2022 class in the secondary. And I think Alex Grinch knows the, the body type that he wants. And he knows exactly how these guys will fit into a system, which is why Oklahoma is getting in on them early. Granted, they have some growth. They've got some maturity that they're going to need to do, but they're good raw talents. Well, one of the things that we do know is he likes height. And that's where Drayden Norwood fits in. Six foot, 175. He's a quarterback right now in high school. Depending on which service you look at, Drayden Norwood is ranked as either the number one or the number two overall recruit. You said cornerback or quarter? Uh, let me get back to that then. Okay. He's ranked as the number one or the number two overall uh, player from the state of Arkansas based on which uh, which service you, you look at. He plays quarterback, the guy who throws the ball. <laughs> 
uh, right now in high school, but he's projected, he, he's ranked by the recruiting services as the number 17 cornerback prospect. He's going to play defense in college. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't rule him out. I, I wrote about him. I, I wouldn't rule him out as either a, a safety or even a nickel type player as well. I just, I'm thinking of that transition freakishly athletic. We have a, a play that he makes as from the quarterback position at Heartland sports. You can go look at heartland sports.com shameless plug. Um, he's freakishly athletic, but there's just so much fundamentally that you have to be really, really good at to play corner at the level that big 12 corners have to play and, and play to uh, play to a level of success. You have to do less of that to play safety or nickel. He's going to play on the defensive side of the ball, and obviously the coaches know what they want to do with him. You think that maybe he's he releases top five, and his top five are Arkansas, Georgia, Missouri, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. You think it's spread? No, it is. And and by the way, Norwood, that last name, that's it's Trey. Sounds familiar yeah, for a it's, reason. It's Trey Norwood's little cousin, and you tend to think that that's enough to maybe woo him in. I'm not as convinced as that because I think I think he wants to stay close to home. And Oklahoma is pretty close. I do think it comes down between Arkansas and Oklahoma. But at this point, I think I would have to give Arkansas the edge in recruiting him. But you think differently. No, I, I just think the, the familial ties can work in your favor, but they could also completely destroy the potential recruiting process for someone. Let, let's just, for say, envision that – a player was recruited by university and they had a terrible experience there. Well, all of a sudden cousin comes along is now being recruited by that same university. Who do you think's the first call on their list? Right. Because I can tell you, and this is just job situations for me. I call previous employees of said employer and say, what was the experience like? I'm assuming that players do that as they're being recruited about universities. If, especially if, they have those familial ties to a former or current player. I feel like that's an inside track for Oklahoma. Trey Norwood, an extremely talented player at the University of Oklahoma, and is expected to continue that trend for at least a couple more years, if I'm not mistaken. Needless to say, I'm looking at the state of Arkansas being an SEC state and defenses consistently touted in the SEC. When you look at a program like Georgia and Kirby Smart, how can you not want to play for, for a head coach who's defensive-minded like Smart? I, that, to me, is just a no-brainer. Right. That, if I'm looking at how do I get to that next level, Kirby Smart's a proven guy for me. No, and I, and yeah. I would easily be pulled by him as a defensive guy. I have no argument for Arkansas. So when you say wanting to stay well, close just, to home, it's Oklahoma or right. Notre Dame. For See, me. I, I, but Notre Dame, Georgia, they're not close to home. Arkansas is, and mm-hmm. and and you buy into what a coach is selling. I mean, th- that's why coaches change. Pro- that's, that's why coaches change programs. You know, they they the program can be bad to get a new coach, and all of a sudden you get to see. Look at Minnesota. You know, right. great example of that. A coach can come in confident with what he's selling. Mm-hmm. Kids will buy in, and it changes the program. Or even even a Brent Venable situation going to right. Clemson. Clemson. There's one more player I want to t- I want to talk about real fast. Uh, he's a three star prospect, but I I do expect maybe him to be a four star by the time this is all said and done with. Winter Garden, uh, Florida. He's outside linebacker Denny Stutzman. Uh, he's he's narrowed it down to six. 
and both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, along with West Virginia, are involved with this kid to go along with Minnesota, Virginia Tech, and Texas A&M. Interesting enough, there's no Florida schools involved in his final six. He's got the size that, that Alex Grinch likes, 6'2", 215 pounds. He's a two-way player right now in high school. He plays receiver last season, 891 receiving yards with 12 touchdowns. And then he made 110 total tackles on the defensive side of the ball. He's going to project as an outside linebacker. And the reason why I think Alex Grinch is high on this is for two reasons. Number one, the size. He's got a great frame. Again, 6'2", 215. But the speed. This kid is fast. And we saw a guy like Kenneth Murray and guys like Caleb Kelly. What Alex Grinch can do with fast linebackers. And this kid very much fits that mold. I I, I don't I don't know how I feel about him because I look at I look at this list of schools and Oklahoma clearly stands out of all of them. I mean, there's, uh, when you when you talk about merit and you talk about what what these programs are producing in the terms of championships and winning and tradition and history, and you look at this list of six schools, you, you can't help but think one of these things is not like the other. And that's the University of Oklahoma and the likes of Texas A&M, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Minnesota, and Virginia Tech. Now, Texas A&M is going to say they're every bit as good as what Oklahoma is, but their, their fans have been delusional for, well, just for as long as they've been around. But the, the reality of, of this is there's only one school that stands out as a championship-type university in this list. And so it bothers me that there's five other schools listed with the University of Oklahoma. That That's... I I don't I I can't really connect the dots here with this kid, but if if it comes down to just what these schools offer in terms of getting guys to the next level and allowing them to have success at the collegiate level, there's only one option here. But we'll we'll see what happens we with it. We'll see what happens. Okay, and the NFL draft is coming up. We've got some players, some names, some uh, projections that you're going to want to know about as uh, we do the rest of our podcast with the draft preview. Okay, Rich, as we move into the NFL draft portion of this podcast, I, I, I'm going to throw a question at you. I'm going to throw two questions. One's going to be really easy, and the other one, maybe not so much. But you know, we, I like to play these games. Um, since 2015, okay, so this is the 2020 draft. So, so over the last four years before this draft, do you know which Big 12 program has put the most players in the NFL through the draft? Oklahoma? Yes. And the number of players is 26. Do you know which school in the Big 12 Conference is number two? Since 2015. Since 2015. Yeah, I mean, if I honestly just had to throw a guess out there, because I, I don't know the answer to this, my guess would be, I want to say Baylor. Baylor is incorrect. Baylor, I will tell you, is number five. So we're not even close at this point in time. No. I know it's not Texas. No, definitely not um, Texas. They're number four. I By the way, let's talk about numbers real fast. Oklahoma, mm-hmm. 26 draft picks since 2015. Texas, you want to guess? Seven. Uh, a little bit more than that. Cut it in half. 13. Okay. Th- cut the 26 in half, not the seven. All right, so you know you know Oklahoma's number one. You know Texas is four. You know Baylor's five. Mm-hmm. So let's shoot for number two again. Iowa State? Iowa State comes in at 10 with two. That's crazy, Matt. That is absolutely crazy. Um, is Kansas State in the top three? Kansas State is number seven with eight. <laughs> We're just going through hey, all of them. You're eliminating. You're, you're getting them. <laughs> TCU is number three. You're closer. Okay. TCU is number okay. three with 14. Oklahoma 26, TCU at 14. Nebraska. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Danny, do, Danny, I tell you who you haven't mentioned yet? Well, there's Kansas. Kansas number nine with four. And, and I figured that they wouldn't be in there. West Virginia. West Virginia. Is number two. Number two. Really? With 17. And then Oklahoma State number six with 10. And Texas Tech uh, number eight with seven. So that's how the Big 12 has wrapped, uh, shaped up the last five years, the last four years, I guess, with the NFL draft. As we go into the 2020 draft, you're going to see more Sooners selected again this year. But in my mind, Rich, I think it comes down to four players. I think there's four players when you look at this draft board and you say, you know what, there's four guys that you can confidently say are going to get drafted. And then there's a fifth that you can confidently say should get drafted and be in Parnell Motley. So I, let's start with the first round, and your first player off the board is going to be who? None other than I don't know. Are we supposed to call him CD or Sedarian? He's CD. He started as Sedarian. I know, right? But now he's CD. CD Lamb, definitely the first pick off the board. Again, we've mentioned how talented this wide receiver class is going to be, specifically in the first round. We're looking at wide receivers being taken number nine as that first pick and 12 being the third. So someone's going to fall in between there. It is unfortunate for this point in time. Are, are we given specifics? Yeah, if you because, want to. Because I believe of all the places, C.D. Lamb has a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. He shows body control. He knows how to high point the ball. Everyone talks about his yards after catch, which I think is, is really what sets him apart. And we've gone in and we've broken down how the three, the three first wide receivers that we think will come off the board, how they differentiate themselves. And Lamb is that yards after catch. I wish he would go number nine, but I think he's the third of the bunch at 12. So you got him going to their the Las Raiders. Vegas Raiders. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think I think there's possibilities here for CeeDee Lamb. I, my son, Caleb, really wants him to be drafted by the Arizona Cardinals at number eight. Sure, and I, I, think, I think Kyler Murray would like to have him drafted at number eight uh, with the Arizona Cardinals as well. But I think the DeAndre Hopkins trade lessens yeah it lessens the need for them to get a good receiver mm -hmm. at that top spot and so i don't think he goes to uh, arizona the jets is something that you've talked about as well the jets possibly right. taking him at number 11 because they've labeled him as their their number one wide receiver but again let's go back to a previous conversation right. we had there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on right yeah. now I, I'm going to go ahead and make my pick here. I, I'm on I'm on board with you with uh, CeeDee Lamb going number 12 to the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm -hmm. Now, the second guy coming off the board for Oklahoma, I believe is still going to be a first-round guy, and that's Kenneth Murray. And like like CeeDee Lamb, there's lots of talk about there out there about him. There's lots of options and lots of places he can land. I, I don't see how he leaves the first round, and, and here's the reason why. Um, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, have the final pick in the first round, and they are looking for a linebacker. Do you know where the, the Super Bowl champions, but do you know where the Chiefs ranked last season in against the rush in the NFL? Nope, not a clue. Number 26. So they're, they're going to be looking at linebackers to try to uh, shore up their, their run defense, and if – if Murray's still sitting there when they take their final pick of the first round, they're taking Murray. But I don't think he's going to be there. I think he goes later in the first round, but I think he goes to Baltimore, and I think he's going to fit in great with the Baltimore Ravens with the number 28 pick. The Ravens are trying to replace C.J. Mosley still. I like Kenneth Murray to be uh, to be yeah, selected and, right and there. I can't argue with you. 
what we initially saw with Kenneth Murray was potentially being taken just inside the top 20. Now that quickly shifted as word began to come out of Las Vegas surrounding the Raiders, Mm -hmm. not being extremely interested in a linebacker, specifically with one of their first round picks, which they have none in the second. And then they get three more in the third. It's just too bad that a player, the caliber of Kenneth Murray won't be there for a team like Las Vegas that could use him. Needless to say, I want him to be in that top 20, but I think more realistically, everyone, and this is me piggybacking what you've said, as well as numerous outlets online who are saying that Ravens, number 28, Kenneth Murray, your most likely bet there. Okay, so so what you're saying is we've got the same two teams for the first two picks from Oklahoma. Well, I want them to be number 19. I just don't see – You just want the – do you if, want the Raiders to draft I, everybody? Yeah, I do. That would be nice. <laughs> I, I have zero reason I, – I, and let, let's just get to the heart of it. I don't know who any of these teams are going to pick. Right. That's Nobody That's the reality does. of yeah. the situation. But when I'm looking at where the initial projections were, I liked Kenneth Murray at number 19. Is he that type of player? Absolutely. I just don't see it as the 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 pick that will be made. And so I have to go with what everybody else is saying. I'm not picking it myself. I'm piggybacking everyone else and saying Ravens at 28. Okay. Um. My next guy. Well, you. I, I went Kenneth Murray. Now your next yeah, guy. Yeah, we can we can go with my my number three. I'm so up in the air with this, even as we're discussing it, because it could be one of two players for me. There's a huge range on where, in my opinion, on where Neville Gallimore could right. fall. He could potentially be a second round pick, but he could also be a third round pick. I don't know where he's gonna fall, and because of the Potential to be late second round to somewhere in the middle of the third round for me. I, I've got to look at someone that I believe has firmly planted themselves in the second round at this point in time. The talk of the combine, the talk of this draft is none other than Jalen Hurts. And I believe if we see, if what we saw progression wise in one year under Lincoln Riley, if that continues, Jalen Hurts is going to be a steal. Mm-hmm. What I think he needed is just the term that everyone's using is continuity for him. He needed to be in a system that catered towards him, but allowed him to throw the ball at the same time before we actually saw him making the plays. He's a first-year starter, sat out a year at Alabama, first-year starter at Oklahoma, and put up exceptional numbers, so much so that he got an invite to New York for the Heisman ceremony. When I look at Jalen Hurts, though, he's a very intriguing prospect. I think the Steelers need a backup quarterback, which is why I think number 49 is a good spot for him. Yeah, the Steelers definitely have been in the conversation uh, with Jalen Hurts, as well as the Chargers picking at number 37. And I think, again, that safety net, this is why I don't think Jalen gets out of the second round. That safety net is Green Bay at number 62. Now, I will tell you this. If for some reason – that Jalen Hurts gets out of the second round, he's going to become an Oakland Raider. Oakland will move, uh, not Oakland. By the way, I'm, I'm I'm going to stop there. I have seen so many people say Oakland Raiders. It, it's not just me. I mean, I, so I feel a little bit better that I have not made that transition to Las Vegas. Uh, but uh, he will be a Raider if he gets out of the second round because Las Vegas will move mountains to get him in the third round because they really, really want him. Mm-hmm. But as we talked about, they got no second round picks. I've got a team 
that I believe is going to take Jalen Hurts and they need him. And here's the reason why I think they're going to take him because no one's talking about him and this team. They're keeping it on the hush. You want to guess who it is? There's 32 options. You can't be wrong. <laughs> no, we saw how well my guessing was Big 12 team. So let's just <laughs> have you give us the answer. I think the Indianapolis Colts would take him with uh, the 34th pick. I think they'll take him early in the second round. And here's the reason why. Everyone knows about Andrew. If you follow the NFL, you know about Andrew Luck. He just suddenly took a medical retirement and left them with Jacoby Brissett. And Jacoby Brissett is a backup quarterback who was thrust in the spotlight. But this is a franchise that has not recovered from Andrew Luck. And their, their quarterback room is not set yet. And they need a, a quality quarterback to add in their quarterback room. Jalen Hurts can fit into that mold, doesn't have to play immediately, but can be shaped. It's, it's an indoor dome team, so you don't have to worry about the elements and stuff like that as you're developing a rookie, as well as it's on turf. And so this Jalen Hurts has deceptive speed. He becomes even faster on turf. I like Indianapolis to look at Jalen Hurts for their second round pick at number 34. That'll do it for you. Who you got going for? Well, interesting you should ask me that question because the only other option now is Neville Gallimore. Mm-hmm. And again, he's got options. I think now, he can, – uh, can I walk back what I said? Absolutely. Because I said second round to third round. Uh-huh. I meant first round, late first round to middle of the second round. You're talking about Jalen? For no 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 for oh. Gallimore. Oh yeah, see Gallimore a guy a guy who hasn't solidified himself. Yeah, but for here's, me, which here's, is why I went with Hertz over yeah, Gallimore. And here's the thing is that we we've talked about this. It, it becomes a need issue as well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's I still say he's top three or top four as far as defensive tackles in this draft. I just don't know that that's they're they're across the board, almost all 32 teams have a more pressing need than defensive tackle. Now, I do like him to go early in the second round, and I'm going to tell you who in just a second, but let me tell you some other options where he could land. He could end up being Baker Mayfield's teammate at Cleveland. The Browns have the number 46 pick. Seattle would be a good landing spot for him at number 60, and he could also join um, Kenneth Murray in Baltimore at number 63. All of those would put him still in the second round, but the team I like to look at him and possibly take him is the Detroit Lions with a 35th overall pick. And the Lions were last in pass defense last season, and they need a guy who's got a quick burst off the ball, who can shoot the gap, who's athletic and also has sideline to sideline speed for pursuit like Gallimore. This is a very difficult position to project, but I do think Gallimore's first round talent. And that's why I like the Lions to take him number 35. Yeah, Gallimore could essentially fill a need for the 49ers from everything that I've read. They need someone as an interior defensive lineman, big bodied, who can who can stop the run. That is what Neville Gallimore does. He seems like a perfect fit, like I said, at that number one. But I had him potentially going at number 54 as well. That'd still be second round. It would still be the second round. You're right, but it would be behind Jalen Hurts. Okay. Because I have Jalen Hurts 49, Neville Gallimore 54. Like I said, there's such a widespread. I'm not set on where Gallimore's going to go. And you've mentioned it. I know we've mentioned it in previous weeks as well. It, it just comes down to need. Mm-hmm. And doesn't mean that Gallimore's not an incredible talent. It comes down to saying, okay, here's an incredible talent, but where does he fit 
if we're ranking the needs on the board. And that, that's what I can't decipher. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I think it's spot on because no one really knows because of what you're saying mm-hmm. is the need. The only other guy I, I think should get drafted, and honestly, Rich, I can't tell you who, okay? But I think Parnell Motley goes around number, the sixth round. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's better than a sixth-round talent. I just don't understand. He didn't get invited to the combine. He had a really decent pro day in Norman. And one thing that's going to help Parnell Motley is that the University of Oklahoma did get to have their pro day. So he did get that time in front of scouts, which a lot of other guys who are late round picks didn't get that. So I think that's ultimately going to help him out. There's a lot of people who have him as a undrafted free agent, but I do think the fact that, that he got to have a pro day and people got to kind of do the eye test with him. I think that gets him drafted but I can't see it as much as I want it to be. I can't see it coming before the sixth round. I, I agree with you. And I believe Parnell Motley was deserving of an invite to the combine. If we're saying that he's I in agree. the sixth round, maybe he wasn't deserving. Then and maybe things worked out exactly as they should. But I think he's a guy, if he's going to build off of that senior year, if we can go ahead and just remove the previous Two years? Because he, he yeah, had see, that's two, the problem. You can't. He had two decent years at the University of Oklahoma. And I agree with you. You have to take all things into account. But if he can figure out a way to be consistent like he was as a senior, I think good things are in store for him. Even if he's a free agent pickup, he'll mm. make a roster. But it comes down to that consistency, which is why I think if he's drafted, it's extremely late. I'm going to throw one more name out there. Um, I don't know if you happen to catch any of Lincoln Riley speaking today and kind of giving us a bit of information about players and which franchise, not necessarily which franchises, but which names franchises have requested information about. And the one name that surprised me on that list, he said the, he's, he's gotten the most requests for Lee Morris. Completely he's a touchdown machine. He is, um, but I, I don't think that means Lee Morris gets drafted. Right. I think it's there's some interest in mm. let's get him onto a field, into a practice facility, and see what he's really capable of more than it is in saying, hey, we're going to draft this guy somewhere in the seven rounds that are available to us. Yeah, see, I've got Lee Morris, R.J. Proctor, Nick Basquin, Marquise Overton, and Mark Jackson all as undrafted free agents. Now, mm-hmm. that's not saying that they can't go in the seventh round or even the sixth round, and I you kind of maybe have answered my next question. I was going to ask you out, out of those five players, mm-hmm. who do you see possibly sneaking into the draft based on that? Would you say Lee Morris? Yeah, absolutely. And here's why we have to look at who Lee Morris played with. Mm-hmm. He played with first round receivers, basically every single year of his career. He was never the guy. And like I said, I think, looking at what you've got on film, knowing that he's also a versatile guy, he's not just going to fit into that wide receiver role, that you can move him around the field. That versatility combined with some of the intrigue may push him into one of those late rounds. Yeah, I I, I agree. With, no, I, I agree with what you're, you're saying. Proctor, I, I am. I agree with what you're saying about... See it in your eyes. Well, the thing is with Lee Morris is that the skill position, it's... You don't, well, you don't want to say they're a dime a dozen, okay? But mm-hmm. once you get away from the CeeDee Lambs and the Jerry Judys, there's a bunch of guys like Lee Morris. And so you can pick him up as an undrafted free agent. And if you can't get Lee Morris, you can get maybe another guy pretty close to him as an undrafted free agent. So I don't know that you spin a, a draft pick for him. R.J. Proctor, though, 
is a guy that I I would take a seventh round flyer on. Okay. But I don't I don't think he will get drafted. But of those five, mm-hmm. I think he has the best chance. So okay. We'll agree to disagree. Yeah. Well, speaking of drafts, and we'll la- see who's right because the draft starts tomorrow. Yes, as we're recording this on Wednesday, draft starts on Thursday. Okay, one last thing we got to talk about, going back to last week, is you talked about the largest bust of all time, mm-hmm. Jamarcus Russell, and I challenged <laughs> you on that. And so we're gonna we're gonna list our top three NFL busts of all time, understanding perspective here that I'm older and wiser than you. Okay, now it's important to note as we do our our top NFL busts of all time. It is important to note, seriously, I am older than you, and I've been watching football longer than you. So I've got some you, guys. You act like you're like way older. Well, I mean, I think I just in, don't want people to think I, you're like this senior adult. I think in there. football years I am because you know, I mean, I, I, let's look. I I went to my very let's let's do it this way. Mm-hmm. Went to my very first ever Oklahoma football game in 1984. In 1984, how old were you? I wasn't even born exactly, yet. Exactly, exactly my point. Okay, so in football, <laughs> do, you, do you even remember it? Yeah, Oklahoma, Kansas State. I mean, was, you were old enough. To yeah, it was. It, I'm just I was hoping you remember. I was ten years old, and um, it was. Um, I, I want to say I'm pretty sure it was Kansas State, mm-hmm. and it was like a, just a thrashing, like seventy-three to ten type you, type score. You want to put this in perspective? set in the south end zone. You want to put this into perspective? You want to know what my first Oklahoma football game was? Two thousand. No. Oh, okay. Is it later than 2000? Yeah. Oh, my God. When, when was it? I, I was a freshman in college at the University of Oklahoma, 2004. Okay, so so 20 years later. Yeah, so, 20 that's years. What I'm talking about. In football years, I got that's like doggy years, okay? I've got a long time. I've got two decades of football knowledge on you as far as memories of players and so forth. Now, because of that, I think it was more difficult for me to narrow this down to just three players. And so I want to throw um I want to throw two honorable mentions out there, okay? I don't have any honorable I, that's mentions. That's fine. So I, you're I flying solo yeah. right here. And and it pains me to say this as an Oklahoma fan because my as everyone right, here we go. everyone yes, everyone else who grew up in the 80s with OU football had the mohawk, had the you know the 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 streaks and wore the rags Brian Bosworth was the stuff as a as a you know as a fan of the team and being a child in the 80s mid 80s but because of injuries his NFL career never panned out and and you I mean I look I love the boss okay I still do it's still one of the if not the greatest linebackers to ever play in college but he didn't pan out in the pros and it was injury okay and so sometimes injury gets you and that's part of being a bust uh, the other guy I want to mention as a bust was, and it, you might know this name, uh, you probably remember him. Was uh, and you said a lot. You said that a lot of quarterbacks turn into busts. I think it was because there's so much pressure and so much expectation on that position. But my other honorable mention is Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback mm-hmm. who was supposed Turns to the analyst. Now. Yeah, because and he's really good at that job. He I, just that, wasn't a good NFL quarterback. I will never forget the name Brady Quinn because of the Notre Dame USC rivalry. Mm-hmm. That took place in the Bush Push. That was, oh, you're talking about against Matt Liner and Reggie. But yeah, yep. okay, all mm-hmm. right, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so those are my honorable mentions because I could have, I could have gone well beyond, you know, well beyond that. But just to let you know, Jamarcus Russell, who I believe was going to be your number one, would be below those guys. 
Really? Yeah, I mean, okay. because you're the, the whole okay. this this whole conversation is predicated on you saying the biggest NFL yeah, bust of all time. Exactly. So that said, give me your number three. My my number three, I did go with a pass rusher in Vernon Golston. Why? Here's a guy who has been employed at a professional level with one job, and that is to rush the passer. Now, within that context, you are expected to actually get a hold of them every now and then. Vernon Golston never did that. Sixth overall pick as a pass rusher, never panned out, never was able to get to the quarterback. Okay, well, my number three is former Nebraska running back Lawrence Phillips, who I believe is in jail right now. Um, you know, he was a guy that was supposed to be the next big thing. He was a tr- uh, fantastic collegiate running back, but he got in trouble, ended up getting kicked off the team at Nebraska, went into the NFL. Continue to get in trouble with the law. Uh, I, I know he played for the Dolphins at one point because I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I'm pretty sure it was the Rams who initially drafted him, had to cut him because of legal problems, went to Miami, had to get cut because of legal problems. And like I said, I'm pretty confident he's in jail right now. <laughs> so that's my number three. Number two is a guy I would say this is the biggest quarterback bust of all time, and that is Ryan Leaf. Do you know who Ryan Leaf was compared to? Yeah. Well, who was he compared Peyton to? Peyton Manning. Exactly. But, but the thing hey, was no, no. because they were in the same draft class. Exactly. And the choice was Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. Who, who, by the way, Peyton Manning went before Ryan Leaf. Exactly. But the, that was the actual conundrum. Which one of these two guys do you take? Do you take Peyton Manning or do you take Ryan Leaf? Because they're both destined for NFL greatness and only one of them achieved it. The other one was a, a complete 100% washout. Uh, in the NFL. So Ryan Leaf is my number two. Number two for me is a quarterback. Surprise, surprise. This one you may be really familiar with, Matt. There was a national championship game on the line and single-handedly this player won the championship for the University of Texas, like I said, by himself. It is Vince Young. Vince Young was a number three overall pick. Freakishly athletic. But wait, didn't he win a playoff game? I don't think so. I don't know. We'd have to go back and look. Yeah, I did. I did. Okay, this is your list, not mine. Mm-hmm. I'm just we'll saying. Have to go back and look. Yeah, look, he he did not pan out. Okay. Hey, all I'm saying. The league is, gave up on him. He rode the success I, of a single game into I, the NFL. I, wait, I think he rode the success of a single season into the NFL. But I look. He I wasn't I, even a Heisman winner. I'm was he? I'm not he a wasn't. I'm not a University of Texas fan. Oh, never, yeah. never, never gonna be. See, where's that burn orange? Never gonna be confused as one. But I think uh, there's no way he makes my top three. Just that's throwing fine. it out there. And that's All fine. Right. Uh, number one for me. Uh, oh, I'll go number one first. Okay. Since we well, already we, know, we already it know. Is. Yeah. yeah. It is. It is Jamarcus Russell, a guy who went to the NFL Combine and proved that he was capable of putting up the numbers that everyone expects. In fact, he exceeded those numbers at a, at a, as a quarterback. I always think of the movie Napoleon Dynamite when the uncle shows up and says, you see those mountains over there? I can throw this football over those mountains. That's what I think of with Jamarcus Russell, a guy with an incredibly strong arm but a poor work ethic. Because of that, I, I think he was NFL talent. But that poor work ethic is what essentially drug him down. And weight issues, athleticism deteriorated from there. Just never worked out like everybody expected it to. Number one overall and pick. You can't say this without you can't say this without people are gonna take it the, the wrong way. He he had a low football IQ. I mean, and and if you're 
if you're in the if you're in high school and you're in college and you're super super athletic, you can get by with super super athleticism with a lower football IQ. You can't get by in the NFL with a lower football IQ, and I think that was the biggest part of his downfall. Okay, so to me, the biggest bust all time NFL history is the one and the only Tony Mandridge. Have you ever heard of this kid? No. Okay, he was 6'6", 320 pounds, offensive lineman, All-American, two-time Big Ten um, uh, all-conference team, was drafted number two overall by the Green Bay Packers, and nada. And the reason why it comes down to steroid use. I mean, look, if you if you want to, because I know you're you're big into sports documentaries. I'm pretty sure there's a 30 for 30 out there. There's something on YouTube. Just go in and type in Tony Mandrich and look at this kid's story. I mean, he was he was the premier offensive lineman of the decade based off of his physical attributes. And everybody thought he was a surefire thing. The Green Bay Packers took him number two overall in the 1988 draft. And he just, he didn't pan out because once the steroids stopped flowing in, turns out the guy's not as good as, as he was all roided up. But there's other, this is a fascinating story. And right now is a great time. You're Googling him up right now, aren't you? I, I will tell you, you finish your story well, okay. because I've seen his face before and I didn't know why. Okay. All I'm going to say is right now is a great time when there's no live sports. you got the NFL draft weekend coming up. You, you're going to watch the first round, second round, probably going to watch those lives live. And then once you get in the third, fourth round, once you get into, once you get past Friday into Saturday and Sunday, you're going to really kind of switch over to following it, the, the mobile updates, that kind of stuff. Look up a documentary. I'm sure there's got to be stuff out there more than just reading the, this guy's story. It is an incredibly tragic, amazing story of how life hands you everything on a silver platter and they just completely dumps it on the floor. The, Number one overall bust ever to me, Tony Mandridge. The reason that I, I've seen his face, of course, there's a lot of Googling going on. As it pertains to the NFL draft, um, I do a lot of surfing YouTube and I find myself falling into these black holes more often than I would like to admit, unfortunately. But there it is. It's out there in the open. There was one point in time where I had begun diving through the YouTube rabbit hole and I came across this title of a video called He Cheated His Way to the Greatest NFL Combine. Now, I've never clicked on it, but when you mentioned that name, I Googled it, and guess whose face pops up? Tony Your Mandridge. boy. Yeah, Tony Mandridge. Yeah, yeah, I'm intrigued. I, look, I'm intrigued. Yeah, you need to watch it. Fast, I, here's what I challenge you to do. If you have the time to watch it, watch it, and then come back and let me know if you don't think he's a bigger bust than Jamarcus Russell. I'm going to educate well, you. Here's the thing, Educate guys. you a little bit, because you were two years old I when did, this happened. I did go ahead, and yes, I Googled him. Yes, he's on my screen of my iPad right now, but it says here he played seven years in the NFL. He was on a – well, how long do you think Jamarcus Russell played? Less than two. Three, max. Okay, I'm talking about – are you talking about playing or being on a roster? Both. Okay, I'm just, just just tell me. Watch the story. Watch the documentary. Uh, don't, don't, don't do it based off of a quick Wikipedia search. 
Oh, come on. This is my favorite. Watch the documentary, <laughs> watch kidding. about him, and then come okay. back and tell me your thoughts next week. That, that's your homework assignment. Hey, okay. that's going to wrap it up for us. Enjoy the NFL draft this weekend. At least we get something affiliated, associated with sports that we can talk about. Have a uh, Hey, Oklahoma's going to be opening back up soon, and we got to talk about that maybe next week. First thing you're going to do, Rich, where's the first place you're going to go once things begin to open back up? That's a really good question and one that I haven't Easy actually considered. Easy but I will tell me. you this, because you're going to have the same answer. Um, I had a haircut schedule. Yes. An in-home appointment. I know breaking the rules, but it had to be done. There was the potential that said person that was going to cut my hair was exposed, which meant that I had to cancel it last Friday. And now I'm I'm a week. I'm actually, it's the 20th. I'm three weeks behind. Yeah. On when I would have regularly attempted to get a haircut. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely on my list. But I was thinking food. No, I, I'm like, what, what's give me a one, food give me a haircut. That, one food option that I want? Give me a haircut any day of the week. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks, thanks so much for listening. Uh, have a great weekend. Boomer Sooner, everybody.